Garoppolo, short drop, fast, quick, throw over the middle. Sanders makes the catch. The fake in the pass. Caught. Kendrick Bourne for the touchdown. So Garoppolo on that drive was five out of six, hit four different receivers. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing tonight? What is going on, Zach? What is going on, Faithful? It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. And as always, guys, find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. It's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Yep, you guys can find me as well at Zach Hernan. Follow the podcast at RGS Pod. Um, man, we got a lot to get into tonight. Um, we're giving you guys an episode. A couple days past uh, the Vikings postseason win. We apologize not getting you guys one sooner. Uh, we had a couple things come up, but nonetheless, let's get started. Um, Anthony, what stood out to you the most about um, the 49ers kind of dominating win against the Vikings on Saturday? You know, we'll we'll go pretty in depth about this uh, about this game. It'll be a little quick episode, but we'll we'll give a good breakdown. You know, you said it best already. Is that what surprised me and what really impressed me the most was that it was completely dominant. Now, I thought the Vikings' offense was going to be a lot more effective than just ten points, because let's face it, Dalvin Cook is really good. Kirk Cousins is inconsistent, I know, and he's not good under pressure, but he still has Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and yet they got shut out completely. So there's a lot you can go on about it, but again, I think it was just the overall domination. I mean, holding Kirk Cousins to 172 yards, which was like his second or third lowest total on the whole season, and then on top of that, holding Dalvin Cook, who was a Pro Bowl running back, and who's I think I think he's an All Pro, if if not either way, he's a Pro Bowler, you know, to only 18 yards on nine carries, you know, for the math majors out there, nine carries, 18 yards, that's only two yards a carry, no touchdowns, nothing else, and his longest run was six yards, so. It was impressive through and through. It was really impressive. And as for the receivers, I mean, Stephon Diggs, two catches, 57 yards. You know, he had that one touchdown, but Akilah Witherspoon played that really poorly. You know, he kind of lost his footing, kind of lost track of Diggs, and, you know, Diggs more or less just caught an easy touchdown. Arguably, it was a ball that should have been picked, but uh, I digress. And then Adam Thielen, five catches, 50 yards. He was also targeted seven times. One of those targets uh, wound up being a Richard Sherman interception. So overall, though, true, Zach, it was really dominant. It was a really, really dominant, you know, game on both sides of the ball for the Niners, really offense and defense. And, you know, let's get into it. I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on mainly the defense there. And looking at the game, watching the entire game, it, it's no surprise why. Um, for me, I wrote down for this answer, the defense looked like the first eight games of the season when they were fully healthy, when everything was clicking, when... They were blowing teams out of the water, and it was it was amazing to see because the last kind of back end of the the season, it was starting to get a little a little nerve wracking. This defense they weren't living up to the same standards. They were kind of falling off, and it was understandable. I mean, they were they were suffering through injuries. Uh, rookies were kind of going through that late season you know stretch where they had to kind of pull themselves together. So it's not like it was you know anything crazy out of left field. It was kind of as expected. 
but it was still really, really nice to see to see um, D Ford come back, Quan Alexander come back early, mind you, um, and you know just just really, really. And, oh, and don't forget Tart really, really give this defense a boost and just prove that that's all that they were missing. Um, for me, though, I, I think I got to go with the offensive side, and you know the running game. They dominated this game, and I know they're not going to have uh, that. You know, there's there's games where they had better statistics running the football. But still, I mean, this team, Tevin Coleman was the lead back. He had 105 carries on 20, or excuse me, 105 yards on 22 carries, two touchdowns. Uh, Raheem Mostert suffered a calf injury. I think it was just a calf cramp per uh, Coach Shanahan afterwards. So he only had 58 yards on 12 carries. But I mean, th- man, when they really needed to put this game away and keep that clock running, they did exactly that. The clock never stopped. I mean, there was a drive where they had like eight straight runs. So. I thought it was just really, really cool to see that the 49ers built a lead, and then they were able to protect it with their defense, and then they were able to kind of milk the game and the clock with the running game. Um, so that that was really, really nice to see uh, Coach Shanahan kind of get his whole plan executed well for the first playoff game at Levi's. Um, Anthony, coming into this game, what were your expectations? Did you think that the Vikings would kind of make it a close game? Did you have a feeling that it would be you know, uh, the way that it played out? No, not at all. And like, like this is what gets me is that I knew the Vikings were a good team. I think we all did, but I think I underestimated how bad Kirk Cousins is under pressure. And I mean, his his you know stats show it. His advanced stats show it. PFF shows it. Football Outsiders shows it. Cousins is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when facing pressure. When he has a clean pocket, he's a good quarterback. But not elite, but he's solid. He's a solid quarterback with a clean pocket. As soon as pressure hits his face, though, it's like like he turns into Blaine Gabbert. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible to watch. But uh, going into the question, though, you know, I was really surprised that the Vikings just, they didn't put up a fight at all. I mean, when the first three plays of the game by Mike Zimmer was run, 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 I was like, oh my, like, what's going on with this? I mean, you know, I know they kind of, their offense is more or less predicated on running the ball, but to run the ball like like that, and I mean, there's no life at all. It, you just felt from the beginning of the game for the Vikings that there was no life with their offense at all. You knew it was going to be a long game for them as a whole, and again, I mean, they only had 100, was it 142 overall team yards, so... It's absolutely remarkable how well the Niners' defense held them. But again, what really surprises me is just just how bad Cousins was under pressure. And I like Cousins. I think he's a good guy. You know, he's a family dude. He seems like he cares about his teammates. His teammates like him. But, I mean, you know, you sign this guy to a four-year, $84 million contract, and you, you, know, you make the playoffs, and you have a solid defense, and you need a solid offense, too, obviously, like the Niners. And Cousins goes up there and throws 170 yards, one touchdown, one pick. He gets sacked six times. It it was remarkable. It was remarkable to me that this game, it, you know, 27 to 10 doesn't look like a blowout. But when you really watch the game and you watch how it played out, the Vikings were just suffocated all afternoon. And to that extent, it was really a blowout. I mean, they had no chance. They couldn't move the ball at all. Let's see. I have it right here. They only they only had on the day they only had seven first downs, bro. Seven. That's remarkable. 
and I mean, that's terrible. Six of them, six of them were passing first down to keep in mind, none rushing, only one other first down out of seven came from a penalty. And I think it was like a, it must've been like a holding or pass interference or something, because honestly, I don't even remember the penalty, but, uh, I digress though, dude, you know, I thought it was going to be like a, you know, like a 28, 24, or 21, 17. I thought it was going to be kind of close because I thought the Vikings' defense was going to keep our offense in check. But I mean, you know, we saw last season and the season before when your defense is solid, but your offense is trash. You know, your defense is out there on the field too long and they can't really do much. I mean, the Niners absolutely dominated time of possession too. 38 minutes, the Niners had the ball. 38 minutes to the Vikings is 21. So again, you know, I thought it was going to be more competitive. It seemed like the Vikings were playing hard, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was like the Niners were just milking the clock after halftime. And I mean, 14 to 10 at half, it was like you you just knew the Niners had the game. I mean, it was one decent half of football for both teams, but, you know, Minnesota, I felt like Minnesota really like pressed to get 10 points. And again, that touchdown was on a, you know, on a bad play by Witherspoon. So you take that away, this game is damn near 27-3, to 3, and then it looks like a blowout. But, yeah, I, I can't stress it enough, dude. I thought it was going to be a closer game. I thought it was going to be a little more competitive. But, no, nah, the Niners really just, they, they knocked the Vikings on their asses, man. They really made them, or they really, they really let them know what's up, especially with the return to Quan. Yeah, I had originally predicted 27-13 uh, on Twitter, and... You know, I, I tweeted afterwards, apparently I overestimated the Vikings by three points. You know, kind of jokingly, but but still, I did. But um, I thought it was going to be a bit closer, especially in the first half. I thought the 49ers would kind of break away more so in the second half. And I mean, it did kind of it did kind of play out that way. But still, um, it was just, man, like you said, that, that Diggs touchdown was a, a fluke, pretty much. I mean... It looks like Akella Witherspoon kind of got tripped up on his own footing, but that was a severely underthrown ball, and if he had just even the slightest bit of better coverage on it, he intercepts that. So I, I thought that, you know, they, they were gifted that touchdown, essentially. Um, I, I, I was kind of, you know, I don't want to say I was too... What's the word I'm looking for? Not surprised <laughs> um, that the the Niners won so comfortably, especially given how the second half of the season played out, where it seemed like every single game went down to the very very last play or the last couple of seconds. So I I was I think I was saying you know like it's just not in their their recent playing style that they would win comfortably, but it was nice. It was a nice nice to have a a day off where you're not biting your nails and feel like you're about to have a heart attack when it comes down to the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, it, it just really gives you a sign of what to expect when this defense is fully healthy and this team can really, really wreak havoc on opposing offenses. Um, what impressed you the most, Anthony, regarding the 49ers defense? You know, watching D Ford, like, so I'm gonna come clean on this podcast, dude. I thought like, I thought not having D Ford out there really didn't make that much of a difference. And I think a lot of that was because we were winning games. But, you know, I knew the pass rush wasn't hitting home and it was really frustrating to watch. But the other part of me was like, and, you know, D Ford's not out there. We might not be getting the sacks. We're still kind of getting them. I mean, I think the team averaged two a game while Ford was out. 
you know, it's not the number that it was the first eight weeks, but, <laughs> but I mean, the second eight weeks to a game isn't bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. But I mean, nah, I, I want to apologize to D Ford, man. That dude is an absolute monster. He, he draws so much attention from the offensive line. I mean, he's getting doubled and chipped arguably as much, if not more than Bosa. And I mean, I'm sure D Ford's not even a hundred percent healthy. He's not. I'm sure they were taking it easy on him during the game. I mean, D Ford, you know, D Ford, he he's been injury prone, even during his time in Kansas City. I know he has some hip injuries, he has some back injuries, and you know it kind of takes a toll on you. And I don't blame him, but I mean, he hasn't had to deal with those kind of injuries as a Niner so far. The only thing he's really had is that hamstring, and you know they're they're one of the most trickiest injuries to to deal with, you know, so, cause you, you can't really judge how serious it is. You kind of just have to play it by how the player feels. And I mean, even though, even then D Ford was saying, you know, I think after the game, he was like, you know, even if my hamstring wasn't good, I was still going to go out there and give him my all because he had missed so much time. So it's like, he goes out there and again, I'm sure he's not even a hundred percent. He draws a lot of attention. He gets a sack. He causes quite a bit of ruckus and a lot of pressure and he opens up passing lanes, passing lanes. He opens up rushing lanes for guys like Buckner and Armstead and Thomas and Nick Bosa in particular. And you look at what happened, dude. Six sacks. So what what really impressed me was the defensive line as a whole, though, dude. You know, the return to D Ford finally gives some guys like Armstead and even Bosa a little bit of rest. You know, it's good to have Bosa out there a lot, but even when you have at least one of those guys on the field at the same time, or <laughs> on on the field at separate times, excuse me, that's that's the biggest difference is that at least Nick Bosa and D Ford can switch off if they have to and get some rest. You know, there's a play where D Ford and Nick Bosa were on the same side of the line. And I was like, wow, that is not fair at all. That is like a cheat code. But uh, I digress, though, dude. Six sacks, that's what really impressed me the most about the defense was the fact that they took advantage of a not-so-good offensive line. Again, Minnesota's line isn't bad, but they're not too good either. But even if they're mediocre, even if they're average, the fact that the Niners' pass rush finally came back healthy and they really made their statement right away it really shows me that these guys can go up against any offensive line and and just dominate. I mean, we got the Packers coming up. We know how that went, and I don't even think D Ford played in that game. So it's like you got these guys healthy. They just proved how well they can play when they're all healthy, and we're ready to see them move on, dude. So I know I'm kind of rambling, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see D Ford back. I missed him. We all missed him. And to go from two sacks a game without him to six sacks with him, that is absolutely impressive, dude. That is mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. Yeah, his his return alone kind of sparked the whole defense. Like you said, it allowed other rushing lanes to open up. It allowed Nick Bosa to not be constantly double-teamed. So, you know, it really, really helped his defense kind of free things up and get home rushing the passer. Um, for me, I think what impress, impressed me the most uh, has to be Quan Alexander and, you know, being back from injury so soon. I mean, I think people forget he tore his, his pec on, what was it, Halloween against the, the Cardinals. So that was only, what, two months ago, essentially? And he's back already. You know, he wasn't supposed to be back for another couple of weeks at best. And not only was he back early, he played early. 
And, you know, he is risking further further um, risk to injury by playing. And, you know, he's not out there at full strength, but he's still a beast. And it, it was just really, really good to see because it's like the 49ers have essentially an embarrassment of riches right now on defense and especially at their linebacking core. Because, you know, when Quan went down and Dre Greenlaw had to step up, it was kind of like, okay, you know, we'll make do with what we have. We'll, we'll, we'll have to, you know, cover up his, his deficiencies in any way we can. And then Dre Greenlaw, you know, just made the all-pro all rookie team, first team. So it's like, you know, he, he played really, really well. He stepped in really well in Quan's absence. And now that Quan's back healthy, it's like, man, all right. Now, now we know what we got in, in Greenlaw and we get Quan back. So the 49ers just, you know, they really, really hit on their picks and their free agency signings, and they're reaping the benefits of that right now. So that really stuck out to me. Uh, it really impressed me seeing Quan come back and come back so effectively in his first game back. Um, Anthony, I know you talked about D Ford right now and how he was able to kind of, you know, free up the rest of the defense and get home on their pressures. Uh, besides D Ford, which player would you say kind of st- stood out to you the most and uh, which significant play stood out to you the most when you think about the Vikings game? So who stood out to, who stood out to me the most outside of D Ford? And obviously I can name anyone on the defensive line, but uh, I think I'm going to stray away from that. I think I'm going to go with, uh, oh my God. Oh, Emmanuel Mosley. Dude, Spoon Spoon got burnt by Diggs twice. And it was like, oh my god, this needs to be like worked on and controlled because Spoon will not be able to handle Stefan Diggs. And, you know, the jury is out with the fact that Spoon has struggled ever since he came back from injury. Even with the pass rush working wonders, you know, Keller Witherspoon still has been having a hard time. And I'm not going to knock the kid. He's just going through his slumps. It happens. I think he'll work over it. But now is not the time to be slumping, dude. It's the NFC Championship game. Even last week, it was a divisional game. You need to be at your best. You need to be A1. You need to be ready to freaking ball out. And, you know, I don't know if what Witherspoon is going through is mental, if it's something in his mind, or he just can't match up with these guys or what i don't know but um anyways anyways emmanuel mosley dude he was on a roll whether it was stefan diggs whether it was adam thielen he he locked him down and he came in instantly after spoon you know more or less got benched and 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 there's not much more i can say dude mosley was absolutely shut down and i know shanahan is still deciding whether or not to start spoon or start mosley and i think he's going to announce that pretty soon but i mean if i had to choose one dude it's Emmanuel Mosley, by far. Mosley's come in. He's been excellent. He played well against DK Metcalf. He played well against Thielen and Diggs. He played he, he, he played against Julio Jones. But, I mean, my, my point being, though, is that Emmanuel Mosley, opposite of Richard Sherman, is one of the more underrated cornerback duos left in the playoffs. I mean, you can look at the Chiefs, and it's like Kyle Fuller and Chandon Sullivan are pretty good. Or you can look at the Packers and Jair Alexander and I think uh, uh, God, Desmond King. No, Kevin King. I'm sorry. Kevin King. You know, that's a pretty good duo too. And then Titans, Logan Ryan and Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, all those guys are good. But, <laughs> you know, this is so much bias. But if I had to pick any of those groups, dude, I think I'm going to roll with the Niners and I'm going to roll with Sherman and Spoon. You know, these guys are on fire, dude. The entire defense just, they locked down the Vikings. And I mean... 
Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, two very, very solid wide receivers, arguably top 20 in the league. So coming into this game, you have an undrafted rookie in Emmanuel Mosley, or his second year Emmanuel Mosley, I'm sorry. And he just comes in and he just puts his work in. And it's, you know, I can't stop stressing enough how remarkable it is because you see you see these guys that John Lynch brings in and you think, okay, maybe they're competing for a special team spot. And they're going out there and they're starting, dude. And the bigger thing other than starting is that they're playing at a really high level. Um, Dre Greenlaw, Emmanuel Mosley, let's see on offense too. It's like Kendrick Bourne, you know? It's all, it's all these guys that are, Matt Breida, it's all these guys that are just undrafted or 7th, 6th, 5th round picks that are just, they make a name for themselves. And it's truly remarkable, truly, truly remarkable. But someone that impressed me yesterday outside of D Ford, yesterday, I'm sorry, uh, Saturday outside of D Ford, Emmanuel Mosley. And then a play that stood out to me, you know, near the end of the game when it kind of didn't matter, Emmanuel Mosley actually, he didn't get burnt, but there was a play. It was a deep shot to Stephon Diggs. It was, it was almost really similar to Akella Witherspoon's. But the only difference is that Mosley played it a lot better. Diggs had to step on him, and even though he caught the ball and was already kind of fumbling it, Jimmy Ward came out of nowhere and just like just laid the hammer on Diggs. I couldn't believe it. I mean, Ward covered like more than like damn near twenty yards worth of field just to get over to make that play. And even if they didn't need Ward because it looks like Diggs was already gonna drop it, Ward still came in and made the play and he laid the wood on Diggs. So that's the one play that stood out to me, man, on defense. And just seeing how hard these guys are playing, seeing how prepared they are, gives you a lot of confidence, and it's really, really, really fun to watch, man. Yeah, um, you know, Spoon, like you said, we're not quite sure what it is that's affecting him, but it's hard to disagree with with Mosley. Mosley came in, he played really well, um, he held his own, The, the you know, I don't think the... Uh, you know the Vikings didn't have another touchdown after that. That's for sure. So it was it was nice to see Mosley come in, and you know that's kind of the standard that he set all season long. Um, and you know he came in for Spoon earlier in the year when he was injured, and Spoon got his job back when he was back healthy. But he was never really able to come back to that that level that he was playing at before his injury. So Shanahan's definitely got a decision to make going into Sunday, the NFC Championship game. Uh, whether or not Spoon's out there or Mosley's out there. Um, I think for me, the the player on defense that stood out to me the most had to be Nick Bosa. Um, And, you know, I'm not even going to call him a rookie anymore because the regular season's over as far as I'm concerned. He's he's already got his 16 games in. He's on to the next season. Um, And he, he played really well. I mean, he had two sacks alone on Sunday, and he just was all over the field. He was wreaking havoc. He was, you know, he had a, a beautiful pass deflection on a screen pass that just showed his athleticism. And I think teams are going to be really, really afraid to line up against him, you know, for years to come because this guy is a beast. And, you know, he's definitely the guy on defense that stood out to me outside of D Ford, outside of Mosley. I mean, like you said, there's a, there's a handful of guys that you could name, but I'd, I'd got to go with Nick Bosa. And then the play that stood out to me, um, I'm kind of cheating here because it's not necessarily on defense, but it was on special teams, which you can kind of classify on defense. But the the punt return that was muffed and that Mostert recovered, man, I think that if if the Vikings get the ball back there and they end up putting together a drive for some points, I could actually see the momentum starting to shift. 
the 49ers offense had just kind of stalled out. Nothing really was happening. They, you know, punted. And bam, there was energy right again. You know, muff the punt, Mostert recovers. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Coleman ran it in a couple plays later. So that could have been a really, really game-changing play um, for the Vikings. Or, I guess, series of plays that could have ensued for the Vikings if he didn't muff that punt. But he did, and it went the other way. Um, You know, we just talked about Nick Bosa a bit, Anthony. Do you think Saturday he solidified himself as one of the league's best pass rushers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two sacks. One of those sacks was kind of in garbage time, but I mean, dude, when you're racking up sacks, it doesn't matter. Two sacks is two sacks. You know, if you look at this game like a year later, no one's going to remember that sack coming in garbage time. So it's like all you look at is, oh, wow, Nick Bosa got two sacks. But, uh, yeah, I think he's top five, arguably top <laughs> So much recency bias, man. But, I mean, arguably top three. I mean, J.J. Watt is good, but coming off of that injury, he does not look the same at all. And I'm trying to think of who, at the least, who's left. I mean, Zedaria Smith is pretty good. You know, he's uh, he's been pretty hit or miss, though. He gets a lot of pressure, but he when he misses sacks, he will, he will miss sacks. So he's kind of 50-50. I mean, let's see, who else? Frank Clark is good. Frank Clark is not on the Nick Bosa level, but... He he's still pretty solid. Um God, D Ford. I mean D Ford rivals Nick Bosa, I guess, but I mean D Ford needs to stay healthy first for me to make that comparison. But my point being though, dude, yeah, Nick Bosa is one of the best in the league. And I mean he's doing it as a rookie. He was just nominated as defensive rookie of the year and rookie of the year by what, the Pro Football Writing Association? And I know it's not it's not like the NFL's official award or the you know, the quote PFF official awards. But I mean, who cares, dude? The fact that he's already getting nominated for like best defensive rookie and best rookie of the year already in his first season, it insane. Absolutely insane. And coming into the season, everyone's like, oh, is Nick Bosa going to even play eight games? Is he going to even play 10 games? He's injury prone. He's a red flag. The locker room isn't going to like him. He likes Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, dude, all those people who have been saying that are like the biggest supporters of Nick Bosa. So watching that transformation and watching him grow, it was like insane. And even when D Ford was hurt, even when uh, Ronald Blair tore his ACL, Demontre Moore, I think, broke his arm. Nick Bosa was still out there and he was still causing a lot of problems. You know, the sack numbers may not show it and that's okay. What does matter though is the fact that he's still getting pressure even when those guys were gone. And even when he's getting doubled and tripled and chipped, holy cow, the guy is like, he's still causing a lot of mayhem. So to get all that kind of attention in one season, in particular, your rookie season, yeah, you damn well better be the best in the league. And that's what Nick Bosa is. He's damn near the best in the league. Yeah, I think you'd be uh, hard pressed to find another, you know, edge rusher that's going to perform consistently at a high level more so than Nick Bosa um like we said Saturday he added another two sacks to his his you know kind of rookie season and it's just been incredible as far as what we've seen from him um you know like you said he he came out people were saying he was injury prone people were saying that he's not gonna play the whole season and not only did he play the whole season but he thrived uh he continuously thrived the only time where he didn't you know shine was when D Ford was out and you know, it's not like he played badly. It's just that 
offenses were focusing on blocking him specifically. And I don't think at this point in his career, he's, I don't want to say talented enough, but maybe mm, experienced enough to be able to kind of counter that and know how to still at least get home or disrupt whatever they're trying to do when he's their focal point of, you know, attack of what they got to do to, to prevent him from getting home. So as long as D Ford is back, he's unstoppable. And, you know, he definitely put the rest of the league on notice this entire season, but even more so on Saturday. And, you know, we're talking about D Ford already. You feel like we've, we've been talking about for most of this podcast, just exactly how impactful was he on Saturday, Anthony? I mean, you know, if, if there were other words I could use to just describe impactful, I mean, it, again, six acts. Six acts is all you need to know. They were averaging about two sacks a game without D Ford. One game back with a D Ford who isn't even fully healthy. Six sacks. Six damn sacks. That is unbelievable. Coming into this Packers game, when we break it down, I don't know if the Niners will get six again. I think they got six against the Packers last time, but that was without their, you know, one of their best tackles in Brian Bulaga. But I mean, who cares, dude? D Ford is back. He's finally going to be able to play and be healthy. And it's one hell of a sight to see, dude. You know, you don't you know, football is one of those games where you have to be I don't want to say elite, or you know what, I guess you can say elite. It's one of those sports where not too many players can single handedly impact a game and you don't need to be catching three touchdowns a game rushing for over 200 yards a game or intercepting the ball twice a game or getting three sacks in a game, you need to just draw a lot of attention. And if teams game plan around you specifically, whether you're D Ford, whether you're Nick Bosa, whether you're Julio Jones, whether you're Aaron Donald, Beckham, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, whatever, if they have to game plan around you, you are the reason the head coach can't sleep at night because that coach is worried about you. And for the remainder of the playoffs, for as long as the Niners are in it, D Ford is going to be one of those guys that gives head coaches nightmares. And he's not the only person that can do that. So, you know, yeah, he's very impactful. And the fact that teams have to game plan around basically, you know, a faster Nick Bosa, scary, absolutely scary. And I think that could really summarize how impactful he is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not even going to get into it again for like the 10th time. He was extremely impactful. He helped the rest of the defense and, you know, as long as he's healthy like we've said a few times already, um the rest of the league should be scared and they should, there's really really no no way to kind of stop him when they're all healthy, when they're all coming at you full speed and full strength. Man, that's a scary sight. That's a scary sight. Um Now, Anthony, last question for this defense before we move on to the offense. Do you think it was one of defensive coordinator Robert Sala's best called games, or do you think the Vikings' offense just wasn't that good? So I think it's a good thing to bring up because good defensive coordinators or even average defensive coordinators should be able to, I guess, exploit weaknesses of offenses. I mean, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And really take advantage of that. And I think... It's something with regarding this question that can be answered both ways. As I said earlier, you know, a lot of the Vikings' offense is predicated off the run. Just like Shanahan's offense, 
running the ball sets up play action. It sets up big chunk plays in the middle of the field. You take away the linebackers trying to stack the box. They bite, opens up the middle of the field just enough for the wide receiver and slot or the X or the Z running a post and getting open or George Kittle running a seam. And it's all money from there. And the fact that the Vikings couldn't even get the run game going, and they couldn't even get the run game going against a box that wasn't stacked, and that means at least seven or eight people in the box even more to really prevent teams from running. You know, Salah didn't even do that that much, and yet Dalvin Cook hardly ran for squat. And the fact that, you know, he couldn't run the ball, the Vikings couldn't, and they really couldn't get play action going, which is, again, a big part of their game, really, you know, hurt the offense as a whole. You know, you can have Thielen, you can have Diggs, you can have Dalvin Cook, Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph, and yet not be effective. You have all those playmakers, and you can only score 10 points. One of those touchdowns was a fluke, so three points. You have all those pieces, and you can't do anything. That's a huge testament to how well solid game planned. And, I mean, you know, the defensive line got the job done. I don't think... You know, if if Ford was hurt, I think this would be a more stressful game just because of how much attention he draws, just because of how much he does. And I do think the Niners' defense still would have been able to get three or four sacks maximum, but it wouldn't have been the same. I think it would have been had a lot more it would have required a lot more effort or energy versus not having D Ford. But I mean back to the question though, I think it goes both ways. You know, the Vikings' offense is so one-dimensional outside of running the ball, you know, play action or a deep shot where if you fail to run the ball, it's third and ten and you have to pass. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I I, I was not expecting Dalvin Cook to be held uh, to as low of a total that he was. Um, but I, I don't think that it was necessarily the Vikings' offense being so poor or Kyle, uh, excuse me, or Robert Sala coaching that well of a game. Um, the Vikings are a good team. Let, let's not mistake that. You know, let's not discredit them in any way. They're a good team. They went into New Orleans. They beat a really, really good New Orleans team at home last week. Um, and let, let's give them credit where it's due. They are a good team. They have some really, really talented guys, especially on offense. Dalvin Cook's one of the best running backs in the NFL. They have two really good receivers. They have a good tight end. They have a good offensive line. Make what you will of Kirk Cousins, but he can be solid at times. Um, I think this really just speaks to how talented the 49ers defense is and what they're doing is it's not anything exotic. I mean, they're not blitzing the house every, every down. If anything, they're doing the exact opposite. I mean, they're, they're rushing, you know, four and they're dropping the rest. And it, it, you know, I've heard multiple times, there's nothing more demoralizing to a football team when you know what your opponent is about to do. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. And that's exactly what the 49ers did. That's exactly what their defense did all game long. Um, there's nothing special what they're doing. They're, you know, they, they line up, they they play, and they win. Rep after rep, match after match, whatever, whatever you want to call it, this 49ers defense is special. And I, I just don't think there's any secret to what they're doing. They're just that talented that opposing teams don't really have a chance to stop them. Or they don't really, I don't want to say know-how because you know how to stop them. They just can't. They're not talented enough. They're not physical enough. They're not fast enough. Whatever it may be, they're not able to do it. So I think that that just speaks to not necessarily one, you know, offense, Vikings offense or Robert Sala 
you know, I think it just speaks to the defense itself. Now, Anthony, let's move on to the offense, the 49ers offense, that is. Um, what impressed you the most about their performance on Saturday? Dude, they they ran the hell out of the ball. And the thing about the Vikings, which I thought was funny, was that their run defense was really good. It was a solid run defense. And their pass defense wasn't that good. And yet, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo only passed for 131 yards. 131 and yet the Niners as a team ran for 186, and they averaged four a carry. And, I mean, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he nailed four times, which kind of, you know, for no yards, it kind of kills the average. Matt Breda didn't run that well, actually. But, I mean, Tevin Coleman, 22 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Mostert, before the injury, 12 carries, 58 yards, almost five a carry. It was just a dominating game on the ground, and, I mean... You know, the whole season, Shanahan has really predicated the offense on running the ball. And I mean, more than just setting up play action, but just being able to set up the pass game. And yet, they ran for 186 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't really need to do much. He game-managed. And I mean, for whatever reason, dude, people don't like it when Jimmy Garoppolo game-manages. And it's like, why? Why why do you expect him to go out there and throw 300 passing yards every game? Why do you why do you expect him to go go out there and throw four touchdowns, no interceptions? And I mean, like, bro, these dudes are asking him to like be be like prime Drew Brees, you know what I mean? And it's like he can be if he wants to. I really think he can be at that peak of his play. But when you're running the ball so well, you don't need to you know, you don't need to be that kind of quarterback. You need to be the kind of quarterback that won't turn the ball over, won't make too many stupid plays, and just keep the team in check and keep the keep the opponent's defense in check. And, you know, I don't care if he didn't even pass for 200 yards, bro. He game managed well. He did what he was supposed to do, and the offense got the job done. But overall, man, the ground game. The ground game was absolutely filthy, man. I mean, there's a there's a time when they ran eight straight run plays and scored a touchdown and didn't even pass. Like, that's unfair, dude. That's just Shanahan being dead mean. Yeah, the running game definitely was impressive, that drive alone. Um, and it came after uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's interception, I'm sure you'll remember. Um, it was almost like Kyle Shanahan was saying, you're not going to mess this up for me. I know you're a great quarterback, but you do have some boneheaded mistakes, and that was one of them, and I'm not going to allow you to even have the chance to uh, have another. So he he made sure he got a touchdown out of it, put a little more breathing room between him and the Vikings, and it was just a dominating performance by the 49ers running game. Um, For me, I think what stood out to me a lot is kind of the emergence of role players in this offense Guys like Kendrick Bourne, I mean, Kendrick Bourne had a couple of really good catches. He had the first touchdown of the game. He had a really, really good third down conversion. And man, there was another one where Jimmy G looked like he just threw it up. I don't remember exactly if he got hit while he was throwing the ball or what what exactly happened, but it could have easily have been intercepted. And Bourne somehow was able to adjust and run over there and catch the ball, catch it cleanly. So I, I really like the emergence of role players like Bourne. And I think that that's exactly what a team with Super Bowl aspirations needs. It needs guys stepping up, playing their roles, 
doing what's asked of them and, um, you know, not, not kind of doing too much, not getting mad when the ball's not coming their way as much, but just doing exactly what's asked of them when it's asked of them. And as far as, you know, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo and his play concerning me or not, no, no, not at all. Um, it, I don't think he's being asked to go out there and throw it 30, 40 times for 350 yards. You know, he's not asked to outduel Drew Brees. He's not being asked to win in Seattle again. You know, games like that, um, he proved that he could do it. I have full confidence that he could do it if necessary. But that's just not the style of play. The style of play right now is build an early lead, play defense, and run the ball, run that clock out. Um, and I think that as long as the 49ers are able to do that, that's what we'll continue to see by this offense. And um, I don't I don't think Kyle Shanahan wants to be in the position to where Jimmy needs to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game because that's not their style of play. And it's not necessarily that he doesn't have confidence in Jimmy. It's just that that means that it's closer than a game than he would like. And um, we're not trying to ice the clock. We're trying to score quickly. So I, I just I don't think that that's what they're asking of him. And I, I would hope that the 49ers running game is able to uh, continue. And that leads me to my next question, actually. Um, do you think that we'll see this running game continue to be as dominant as they were for the rest of the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you'll hear my predictions when we go into this Packers game. I think they're going to beat the Packers. But, uh, yeah, whoever we play in the AFC, whoever we play or no. Whoever we play in the AFC and obviously the Packers, I think they're going to run the ball well. You know, the offensive line, Brian Bald- Baldinger was talking about, dude, the offensive line got, like, tremendous push. And, I mean, like, it looked like these dudes were, like, all the Hulk. Like, in Tomlinson, uh, Ben Garland, Mike Person, you know, Staley and McGlinchey, these guys were pushing the defensive line of the Vikings five yards back before the running back even got the ball. And that, you know, that doesn't even include George Kittle and those guys blocking as well. So these guys were getting tremendous push. These guys were just absolutely bullying the the Vikings' defensive line. And the thing is, too, is I think the Vikings' defensive line is better than the Packers. It, it's close. It's really close. I mean, Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, uh, I think Tom Johnson's up the middle. You know, the Vikings have a good interior. They have a good edge presence. They have an entire good line. And obviously the Packers with Preston and Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark, you know, it's all good. They're all really good in my opinion. But if the Niners' offensive line can do that to the Vikings' defensive line, oh, I, I'm expecting the same type of results against the Packers. And I don't want to get my hopes high because you never know what happens. But again, there are two very high-quality defensive lines. If the Niners can do that to the Vikings and run for 100, what, 184 rushing yards, 186. If they can do that against the Vikings, they can run for at least 150 against the Packers. And, you know, if Garoppolo has to have the type of game that he did against the Vikings, that's fine. I don't care. Again, he just needs to not make the dumb throws. And, you know, the pick by Eric Hendricks was like, it was a remarkable athletic interception. You know, I think Garoppolo underestimated where Kendricks was. I didn't think he dropped back, and Garoppolo just, he didn't kind of get enough air on the ball, so it was a little flat. But, I mean, it was still a nice play by Kendricks. So, you know, Garoppolo just plays careful. He game manages well, like Shanahan kind of asks him to do, and the run game takes off. It's ball game. And if they can sustain that, I'll take that any day of the week of the month of the year, man. It's 
it's remarkable how well running the ball works for teams and it sets up the entire offense and you do that shoot dude you're winning super bowls left and right yeah i agree um i i think that the running game continues to play at this level and i think that the packers specifically are more of a a finesse team and i think that they don't they can't match up with the dominance, the physicality of the 49ers. So I wouldn't be surprised in the least to see um, this running game continue. It might even get better. Um, you got to remember uh, Raheem Mostert was injured. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that Raheem Mostert doesn't do more with the opportunity that Tevin Coleman had. I know he had 100 yards and two touchdowns, but, you know, Raheem Mostert could have had more yards. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He seems like he's a bit... Uh, more explosive once he hits that cut. So I, I definitely think the running game continues to play at this level um, because teams just can't match up with the 49ers' physicality. And that's a that's a great thing to, to have at this point in the season. Um, now, speaking of the running game, running back Tevin Coleman finally played well. He finally got the bulk share of the carries. Do you think that he should get more or at least as many carries as Mostert moving forward? I you know I don't think so and again I think a lot of the carries he got was because of Mostert's injury. I think around that point the carries were about even. I mean obviously it looks like Mostert stopped at twelve carries, so Coleman probably was. I'd probably say he's probably around eight or nine at that point. But uh yeah I think he should should. I mean that whole stretch before the Panthers game or during the Panthers game and behind that, he was one of the best backs in the league. I mean. You know, he's constantly getting the ball, and he was constantly running the ball effectively. It's it's remarkable. It's remarkable what Tevin Coleman has been able to do recently, and I think he can sustain that. And I think Shanahan was really talking about how effective Coleman can be in the goal line. And he's such a tough, physical, fast runner for his size, and he can bully linebackers. He can truck DBs, and, and I think he can do it all. So I think he deserves carries, but... I don't, you know, I think I think if it's second or third and short, I think you give it to Coleman. But, like, if it's first and ten or, like, you're in the red zone or you need a big play, let Mostert stay in there, dude. Mostert is the big play guy, and he can really get the job done. But, yeah, I do think Coleman deserves more carries. Maybe not as many as Mostert, but I think he should be right up there. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think Mostert should still be uh, the lead running back moving forward especially if he's fully healthy. Um, but I, I don't think that um, Tevin Coleman should get less carries. Maybe maybe you can up Tevin Coleman's carries. I think he proved on Saturday that he's a very, very capable back, um, especially against a good defense. And I, I'd like to see them kind of split the carries moving forward. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the third running back who was essentially the first running back to start the year, Matt Breida. Um what do you think is going on with Matt Breida? Is he not, is he injured? Is something going on mentally? He he seems like he's not really playing as much or as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what was the game he fumbled in? I think it was the Falcons game where he had that costly fumble. And the one, like the previous carry before he fumbled the ball away, he fumbled out of bounds. And right after that, he fumbles. And it's like, dude, I mean... 
<laughs> not the right thing to do in that situation. But I mean, in this game too, he fumbled, he lost it. I don't care if it was garbage time. It didn't matter. I know. But still, it's a really bad indicator to see something like that happen. Because if Breda gets that first down, I think there's a minute and a half left. That would have been the game. That that would have been the game right there. And yet he gets over the first he gets over the first yard line or the first down marker and then he fumbles. It's like, ugh, dude, what's going on? So I think it's mental. I don't know if he's lost all of his confidence because of Mostert and Coleman running so well. I don't know if it's that he can't get into a groove because he doesn't run so well. And I think the best thing about Brita when he's on one, having him run like not not like one play every like 10 or 15 plays, but having him for a few consistent plays here and there, I think is what he's best at. It keeps him healthy, it keeps him it keeps him fresh and really it just prevents him from getting hurt because we saw how dominant he was when he's healthy but the moment his that ankle tweaks up it, it's a mess it's honestly a mess so i don't know what's going on i don't think he's hurt it could just be a confidence confidence thing it could just be him not having that kind of rhythm or what you know it's one of those things though and coming into a free agency season for him I think it's really concerning. I think it's absolutely really concerning because Coleman and Mostert are good, but having all three of your backs be absolutely dynamic is what can really move this offense forward. So you just got to hope that Breda stays in his head, keeps his mind right, and can be effective going forward because without him, you know, I know he didn't play well and I know it didn't matter, but if Mostert or Coleman goes down, we need Breda. We, We absolutely need Breda. So get his head right. Get his mind cleared. Go out there and play football, dude, because even if he doesn't get that many carries, we still need him to be effective. Yeah, I'm I don't really know. I, I, I I'd kinda chalk it up to him not being in rhythm. I don't think it's a matter of confidence. I don't think it's a mental thing. Um, I think it's just he's not really he hasn't really been there recently. And it I think as a running back, you're kind of, you know, creatures of habit, so you need to kind of get in rhythm get your body going, get used to taking the hits and, you know, get used to guys trying to pry the ball out of your hands at full strength when you're going to the ground. And, you know, that, that fumble, like you said, it wasn't a good sign. And Coach Shanahan's going to remember that. And I wouldn't be surprised if going into Sunday, he's buried at the bottom of the depth chart behind, you know, Raheem Moster and Tevin Coleman strictly due to that fumble. So, I mean, and also just due to their performances, but the fumble doesn't help. So that's unfortunate, but I mean, it is what it is. The 49ers have, like you said, still a really, really good back uh, stable of running backs. So it, it's a good problem to have, but I would definitely like to see Matt Breida get back to where he was kind of at the beginning of the year. Um, Anthony, how well do you think the 49ers, specifically their offensive line, handled the Vikings' solid defense yeah i brought it up earlier and i think the vikings let me see let me pull up my stats real quick the vikings on the day i want to say they only had one sack let's see two sacks daniel hunter and sean weatherly who i think is a linebacker or db but overall two sacks four qb hits you know it wasn't just a run game that was dominating dude it was the pass protection that was like remarkable as well you know Jimmy Garoppolo 11 of 19 130 yards 
that, that doesn't sound impressive at all, but the passes he was completing and everything that he is making, I felt like Garoppolo did have time in the pocket when it was there. So overall, though, the offensive line just, again, they manhandled all those dudes, man. They absolutely, you know, they, they put the Vikings on skates and they knocked them on their ass, man. Again, Daniel Hunter, uh, Everson Griffin, you know, all these guys who just, they just ball out. They're good linemen. And they got shut out. They damn near got shut out entirely. So overall, I yeah, you got to credit the offensive line just as much as the playmakers because without them, you know, it was rough. It's a really rough stretch. I mean, there were some points during the Saints game, during the Cardinals game, even the Seahawks game the first time when it was like, oh, my God, the, the offensive line is just getting crushed. And here we are now. The offensive line is playing at an arguably elite level, and they're not even fully healthy. They're still missing Rickberg. But I digress, dude. They're playing healthy. They're playing well. They're playing efficient. And they're just setting this team up for success, man. The offensive line is just unfair. You know, it's a bunch of UDFAs, a couple first-round picks, and, you know, a couple guys here and there. <laughs> and yet they're getting the job done. It's really impressive. You got to give them a lot of credit. Yeah, I thought they played extremely well. Uh, like you said, it wasn't just the running game. The the pass protection worked well, too. And, you know, Jimmy looked like he had he had a lot of, you know, room in the pocket. He was able to kind of move around. So it, it, was, it was a good sight to see against a talented Vikings front seven. Um, it could have definitely gone differently, and I'm glad it didn't. Um, it seems like this the offensive line is, you know, getting to a point where they're all healthy minus the center, like you said, and they're all starting to gel together. So it's kind of the perfect perfect moment for the 49ers for that to happen. Um, now, Anthony, now that we're in you know, the final game of the playoffs going into the Super Bowl next, um, do you think that Kyle Shanahan has a lot more to offer going forward? Like, you know, for example, do you think that he still has plays in his playbook left that kind of are his in-case-of-emergency plays? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that's a really good question, too. And I don't even think it's just, like, emergency plays. I think it's, like, plays that he just wants to get off. And, you know, a good classification of emergency emergency plays, you know, I wouldn't say this is an emergency, but I would say it's one of those plays where you need to call it was in the Saints game, like with the Emmanuel Sanders pass or the Kyle Juszczyk option play to Mostert. Like, bro, like, who thinks of these things? You know, I know you see wide receiver passes from, like, Belichick and Andy Reid and even Doug Peterson and you know kind of and you saw that from Sean McDermott too but I mean like you don't you hardly see it and the playoffs are the time to really see it and see what these offensive coordinators and these head coaches got and I want to see it from Shanahan I don't want to see him spill out his whole playbook but Zach bro if Emmanuel Sanders and like Tevin Coleman don't finish this game with like two complete passes or three complete passes hell dude even like <laughs> even if shit gets wild and like Tevin Coleman or like George Kittle ends up with like an interception somehow at the end of the game it, it would be insane it'd be absolutely insane but I mean I yeah I think Shanahan needs to open the playbook though not entirely not entirely but if there's some things where 
the the situation calls for it, he should. Because this is the playoffs, dude. This is a time where you need to make every play count. And if you feel like you can call something that will absolutely put the defense on ice, you do it. You do it, and you do it fast. Because you see what happens in games like the Texans and the Chiefs or the Packers and Seahawks where you don't put away the team early. The op- the opposition comes right back, so Shanahan's got to close out this game. He's got to call whatever it takes to to really ice the Packers and put them on their asses and just dominate, absolutely dominate, expose these guys and get this damn team to the Super Bowl, bro. Because it's been way too long. Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to disagree with that. Um, I think that even if for some reason Kyle Shanahan kind of, you know, I I think the only scenario in which he doesn't have trick plays left or special plays left is that he didn't envision the team getting this far. And I really, really have a hard time believing that. But even if that was the case, I think that he shouldn't have too hard of a time coming up with um, new plays and implementing them beforehand heading into Sunday or if they win Super Bowl Sunday. But I, I mean, he's, he's known as an offensive mastermind for a reason and I definitely think he's still got some tricks uh, left up his sleeve. Uh, to be honest with you, though, let's hope he doesn't need them. Let's hope the 49ers can just win, you know, I don't want to say fair and square, but it's like doing what they do and do it sound, uh, running the football, playing good defense. I think as long as they continue to do that and do it well, there's no there's no trick play needed. I mean, there's no magic needed. It's just you see what they're doing. You just can't stop it. Um, that's going to just about do it for us guys. We'll, we'll see you guys again one more time before the NFC championship game. Um, Anthony, any final thoughts here before we wrap it up? If the Niners don't beat the Packers by 40, we riot, <laughs> but, uh, not nah, great episode, Zach, as always, you know, it was a lot of fun. I can't wait till we talk about the Packers. It'll be a long episode guys. You know, a lot of people like length. We're going to shoot for like an hour and a half, at, at least an hour, you know, at least an hour. But uh, as always, guys, thank you for listening to the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. All right, guys. Yeah, like I said, that's just going to about do it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. Follow the podcast at RGS Pod. And we'll wrap up with you guys. Catch up with you guys uh, one more time before the NFC Championship game. Thanks for tuning in to the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. Have a good one.